Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. If you're a visitor for the first time today or you're a visitor and you haven't been here in a long time, uh, we've been going through a series called Binge Watching Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And we've been going through the Gospel of Mark because we want to look at Jesus. We want to binge watch him and see what he does as he does ministry. And it's been interesting, to say the least, the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus was in a boat with the disciples and he was taking a nap when this big storm arose. And then we saw Jesus wake up from his nap and say two words, peace, still, and the wind and the waves stopped. This raging storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus stopped with just two words. And then last week, we saw Jesus go into a cemetery at night and cast out over 5,000 demons. He cast them out of a naked lunatic, and he sent them into 2,000 unsuspecting pigs who then went and ran off a cliff and drowned. So it's been interesting in Mark's gospel. And today, we're going to see Jesus continue to do some incredible and miraculous things. Today, in Mark chapter 5, we will see Jesus heal a woman who has been bleeding for a very long time. And then we'll see Jesus barge into a preteen girl's brightly painted pink bedroom with boy band posters on the wall. And he will actually take her by the hand and bring her back from the dead. And because Jesus can do all of these things, because he can calm storms with two words, because he can cast 5,000 demons out of a naked lunatic and send them into 2,000 pigs, and because he can heal people, because he can bring a dead girl back to life, then whatever it is that we are facing in life, we can cling to this promise from Jesus. Do not fear, only believe. Whatever is happening in your life today, if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, then this is a promise that you can cling to your whole life. When your kids walk away from Jesus, when your marriage is falling apart, when you lose your job, when you get that cancer diagnosis, or even when you are on your deathbed. The glorious truth of Easter, the glorious truth of Jesus' resurrection is that we can carry this promise with us into any situation that we face, even death itself, which we will all experience one day. We all have a date with death, and this is a promise that you can carry in your back pocket on the way there, and all the way into it. Whatever is going on in your life, Jesus takes you by the hand, and he whispers this promise to you. Do not fear, only believe. So look at Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, and hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. 
Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And Jesus went with him. So Jesus is back in the village of Capernaum where he lives. And as soon as his boat comes to shore, the crowds start gathering once again. And Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, approaches Jesus. Now, the synagogues were local meeting places where people worshipped the Lord. They worshipped God there. They read scripture there. They listened to preaching and teaching. They prayed there. For those people who were not living near Jerusalem and had access to the temple, this was where you worshipped. This was your, your local church, your church family, if you will. You gathered in the synagogue. And so Jairus, this very prominent leader in the synagogue and in the community, he comes and falls down before Jesus. No doubt that he knows who Jesus is. He has heard about all the miracles that Jesus has performed around the area and even in the village of Capernaum. And that's precisely the reason why Jairus comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. He believes that Jesus can help him and help his sick daughter. So Jairus begs Jesus to come to his house and heal his baby girl. And that's what faith, that's what coming to Jesus is. It's falling down before him and admitting that you're desperate. It's acknowledging that Jesus is the only one powerful enough to help you and then asking for help. That's it. That's faith. It's catching a glimpse of Jesus and falling down. Catching a glimpse of Jesus actually kind of has a way of making your knees bend. That is, if you're willing to be humbled. That is, if you're willing to admit your weakness. That's Jairus here. He saw Jesus, and then he bent his knees. Faith is seeing Jesus and putting on your knee pads and falling down before him just like Jairus. Mark tells us that in verse 22. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. That's it. Seeing Jesus and putting your knee pads on. And Jesus responded to his faith. Jesus said, if you will, okay, I'll go with you to see your daughter. I'll go help your baby girl. Faith is falling down like Jairus. And that means that Anybody can get in on this gospel thing if they're willing to admit their weakness. Anybody can get in on this Jesus thing if they are willing to bend their knees. Jairus is completely helpless, so he asks Jesus for help. It's a picture of faith. His little baby girl is on the brink of death. He is desperate. He has no answers his theological training will not help him keep his little baby girl from dying. His prominent position in the synagogue will not keep death's grip from seizing her. His standing in the community will not help keep death away from his little baby girl. He has nothing in and of himself to stop death. He is utterly helpless and desperate. But he's the perfect candidate to meet Jesus. These are the people that Jesus loves getting interrupted by. Desperate people. 
Mark is telling you and Mark is telling me that Jesus wants us to come to him weak and weary and burdened and heavy laden and exhausted and out of gas and out of luck and out of money and out of your mind. He likes people like that. Jesus loves desperate people. That's how you get in the door to see him. You've got to be desperate. If you want to make an appointment to see Jesus, the prerequisite is helplessness. You have to bend your knees. Comfortable people have no need of Jesus. They're set. They're good. So let me ask you this morning. Are you comfortable today? Are you living life like you have no need of Jesus? Are you living life like you can get by without Jesus, the one who's created you, the one who made you, the one who formed you in your mother's womb? Are you really going to try and do life without him? Comfortable people have no need of Jesus. But desperate people do. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves desperate people. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that wasn't a one-time offer that expires. That promise has no expiration date. It's an everyday invitation to come and find rest. To see Jesus again and to fall on your knees and ask for and receive help. To unload your burdens. To cast all your cares on him. That's what Jairus is doing here. And that's exactly what a desperate woman who has been bleeding for 12 years will do next. Look at verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, "Uh, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So as Jairus gets the confirmation from Jesus that he's going to his house today, the plan gets interrupted by this woman. And what we'll see in a moment is that this distraction and this interruption by this bleeding woman will give Jairus' daughter time to die. Because there is a delay, the little girl dies. Because this woman interrupts, Jairus' baby girl dies. 
And yet, Jesus knows it all. Jesus knows that this delay will actually keep him from getting to Jairus' baby girl in time. So she will end up dying. But it's all a part of God's sovereign plan. Jairus and the disciples don't have all the facts. Jesus does. Jairus doesn't know yet that because this woman delays Jesus, his baby girl's going to die. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows all the facts of the present situation. He's the only one in on the loop. He has all of the data. And that's true for your life today. Are there delays in your life where you want Jesus to show up and he hasn't shown up in the way that you're wanting to? He has all the information. He is the only one who's in on the loop. He's the only one with all of the data. What you can do is trust him. But Jairus has complete trust that Jesus can and will heal his daughter. That's why he goes to Jesus. So he just approaches Jesus, falls before him, and he just straight out asks Jesus to help him. The woman with the issue of blood, though, she goes a different route. And she ends up in the same place as Jairus. She reaches out to Jesus. She uses more stealth. She sticks her hand through a crowd of people knowing that Jesus is being mobbed by all these people. She believes that Jesus has the ability to heal her, but she's not sure if he will. After all, she's unclean. She's been bleeding. Mark 12 tells us in verse 26 that she had seen every kind of doctor there was. She spent all her money on every kind of treatment. She wasn't any better. She was actually worse, Mark says. She listened to her friends tell her, there's an essential oil for that. Just put some doTERRA eucalyptus oil on it and you will be healed. Now, before you essential oil people email me and come at me, we have essential oils in our house. We use them. Last night, I was breathing lavender before I went to bed because I read a report last week that breathing lavender for a few minutes before you go to bed will help with your insomnia. I did the essential oil thing last night, okay? So please don't email me if you're an essential oil person. We are. But, you know, sometimes the essential oil people, there, there is an essential oil for everything, isn't there? I saw a picture once of a guy with this gunshot wound and his guts were hanging out and the tagline underneath said, there's an essential oil for that. <laughs> this lady who has been bleeding, I'm sure has heard her friends say, just breathe in some lavender oil before you go to bed and put some sandalwood on each of your pinky toes and you'll get better. She's tried it all. She's tried every essential oil on the market and she's burned out. She's fried. She can't handle any more rejection. And so her plan is simple. Sneak up on Jesus, quickly touch his clothes, and get out of there quick. But she doesn't know that not only can Jesus feel everyone touching him, he can even feel when power goes out from him. Mark tells us in verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, Jesus felt this power leave his body. He's being mobbed by all these people. They're touching him, pushing and shoving. And yet when this woman reaches through the crowd, through people and touches him in faith, power leaves Jesus' body. It doesn't when other people are touching him. But when she does, Jesus feels the power go out. Why? It's because she came to him in faith. Sneaky faith. Yeah, she's got sneaky faith. She used stealth, 
but she came in faith. And Jesus responds to that. He responds to faith. Whether it's a faith that stops him in his tracks and begs him in front of everyone to heal a preteen girl or a faith that's a little bit sneaky in a mosh pit, Jesus responds to desperate people. And so Jesus asked, who touched his garments? And the disciples are like, uh, dude, really? Everybody and their dog is touching you. What do you mean, who touched me? And the crowd, which was moving towards Jairus' house at this point, stops. And so there's probably a hush in the air because Jesus just asked, who touched my garments? And now everyone's like, uh-oh, he must not like this. But the woman knows what she did. So she comes and she falls at Jesus' feet and tells him everything. She tells him, I've been bleeding for 12 years. I assume that this is some sort of menstrual issue that she has, and so she's unclean according to the Old Testament law. She's tried every essential oil there is. She's been to every holistic doctor. She's up to date on all of her vaccinations. She has used up all of her money on copays. She's tried acupuncture. She's tried it all, and nothing has worked. It's actually made her worse. Nothing has worked except Jesus. She told him, that she touched him because she knew that he was her only hope. That's faith. It's a sneaky faith in the middle of a mosh pit, but it's faith nonetheless. And what does Jesus say? Does he scold her for touching him, which according to the Old Testament law should now make Jesus unclean? Does Jesus scold her for making everyone else around her unclean? No, Jesus basically says, Honey, it's time to get up. Your faith has made you well. You're whole. You're healed. Sweetheart, get up and go home in peace. Jesus actually calls her daughter. Did you catch that? Jesus calls her daughter in verse 34. This was a term of endearment. It's like Jesus with incredible tenderness is saying to her, Oh, honey. Oh, sweetie. I know your pain and agony. I know that you've been bleeding for 12 years. I know how you've been an outcast. I know you've been unclean. But now, listen, sweetie, you are whole. You are clean. Get up and go home to your family. You are well. Picture Jesus, the most tender and compassionate man that has ever lived, taking her by the hand, helping her to her feet, and gently and tenderly calling her daughter and then sending her home. Jesus is saying that to you today. So fall at his feet and reach out to him, and he will lift you up to your feet and say, Oh, honey, it's going to be all right. I'm with you. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't forgotten you. I'm making all things new even now. You can trust me. Everything that you are going through is working out to bring you good, to bring redemption. Trust me, sweetie. And if you're a guy and you don't want to be called sweetie by Jesus, then he says this to you. Oh, buddy, it's going to be all right. I'm with you. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't forgotten you. I'm making all things new even now, and you can trust me. 
Everything that you are going through is working out to bring you good, to bring you redemption. Trust me, buddy. Today, no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what is going on, no matter how messed up and broken and damaged things are, because Jesus has all the details, because Jesus is the only one in the loop, because Jesus has all of the data, he says to you today, oh, sweetie, Oh, buddy, do not fear. Only believe. You can trust him. Robert Capon said, trust him. And when you have done that, you are living the life of grace. No matter what happens to you in the course of that trusting, no matter how many waverings you may have, no matter how many suspicions that you have bought a poke with no pig in it, no matter how much heaviness and sadness your lapses, vices, indispositions, and bratty whining may cause you, you believe simply that somebody else, by his death and resurrection, has made it all right. And you just say thank you and shut up. The whole stop closet full of mildewed performances, which is all you have to offer, is simply your death. It is Jesus who is your life. If he refused to condemn you because your works were rotten, he certainly isn't going to flunk you because your faith isn't so hot. You can fail utterly, therefore, and still live the life of grace. You can fold up spiritually, morally, or intellectually and still be safe. Because at the very worst, all you can be is dead. And for him who is the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. At the very worst, all you can be is dead. And for Jesus, that just makes you his cup of tea. And that's exactly where Jairus' baby girl is now, dead. But the resurrection and the life is about to barge into her bedroom. Jesus is about to visit the other daughter, the one who has died while he has been caring for this daughter, the woman with the issue of blood. But it's not just a sweet term of endearment that Jesus speaks to the woman with the issue of blood. When Jesus calls the woman with the issue of blood daughter, he not only links her to God the Father as an adopted child of God, but he also links her to Jairus' daughter. Their stories are linked together now. Their journeys have crossed paths. We have two daughters in this passage who desperately need Jesus. One daughter is sick and her blood won't stop flowing. And one daughter, as this healing occurs, her blood actually stops flowing because now she's dead. One daughter dies while the other daughter is healed. One daughter's heart keeps pumping blood and it won't stop. And the other daughter, Jairus' daughter, her blood has stopped pumping because now she's dead. Look at verse 35. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. What sad words that Jairus hears in verse 35. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I wonder if when Jesus was dealing with the woman, I wonder if Jairus was thinking, come on, lady, my baby girl is dying. You're just bleeding. Stop interrupting Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us if Jairus was thinking this, but it would not be hard to imagine him doing so. I know I probably would. But now Jairus gets the words that he does not want to hear. This baby girl is dead. But catch this. As soon as he is told this bad news, Jesus rushes in. Jesus overhears the words, your daughter is dead. And he immediately says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. I love that Jesus immediately rushes in with comfort. He rushes in with a promise. He doesn't even allow Jairus' fear to consume him and take over. Jesus injects hope right away. What a tender, precious, caring, compassionate, loving Savior that we have, Grace. And so Jesus starts walking with Jairus to his house. He tells the crowd to stay behind and they seem to be understanding and sympathetic because of what's just transpired. And only Peter, James, and John accompany Jesus and Jairus to his house. And when Jesus arrives, he tells all those who are weeping that the little girl is not dead and they laugh at him. Of course she was dead. She was really dead. She was dead. Her heart stopped pumping blood. But from Jesus' perspective, She wasn't dead because he's about to raise her from the dead. He's just a little late, that's all. But Jesus likes showing up when it seems like he is too late. Jesus likes showing up late with hope in his back pocket. The same for your life today. Keep waiting. Keep watching for him. Keep expecting him. He may be late by your calendar but he's not late by his. And so Jesus sends everyone outside except for the three disciples and Jairus and his wife, and they go into the little girl's bedroom, and Jesus takes her cold, stiff hand in his hand, and he says, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha means little girl, but we would, we would probably be the equivalent of us saying, sweetie, or honey, or baby. In essence, Jesus, with tenderness and compassion, takes her by the stiff hand and says, Sweetie, it's time to get up. Come on. 
What's fascinating about all of this is that Jairus' name means he will awaken. Jairus' name means he will wake up. So Jairus has spent his whole life being called, he will awaken, or he will wake up. And then one day he encounters a man who does that very thing for his dead baby girl. Jesus awakens the baby girl of he will awaken. That's meticulous providence right there, y'all. File that under meticulous providence. Jairus spent his whole life hearing constantly, hey, he will awaken, come here. Hey, he will get up, come here. And when his little baby girl is dead, Jesus wakes her up. And we stress out sometimes because we don't have all the details and the facts. Jairus' name should encourage you that Jesus has it all under control. Jesus awakened from death the baby girl of Jairus, whose name means he will awaken. Mark is telling us, he's trying to get us to see that we can trust Jesus. We can trust his promises. We can trust him when life gets dark, when it gets out of control, when it's out of our control. We can trust Jesus because he knows everything that is going on. He has all the details. We can trust Jesus because he rules his world with a meticulous providence. And if Jesus is ruling his world and ruling your life with this detailed of a providence, then you can cling to his promise to you today. Do not fear, only believe. Tim Keller says this about the account. Jesus is doing exactly what the child's parents might do on a sunny morning. He sits down, takes her hand, and says, Honey, it's time to get up. And she does. Jesus is facing death, the most implacable and inexorable enemy of the human race. And such is his power that he holds this child by the hand and gently lifts her right up through it. Honey, get up. Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, death itself is nothing but sleep. So Jesus tells her to wake up, to come back from the dead, and she does. Notice that Jesus didn't use some essential oils here, like doTERRA eucalyptus oil to try to open up her airwaves. Jesus doesn't need essential oils to help him. And this girl didn't need essential oils. She needed power. And that's exactly what Jesus used. Power. His resurrection power. The same power that flowed through him to the woman with the issue of blood. And what happened? The little girl's blood started flowing again. Her heart started pumping again. And she got up and started walking around. One daughter's blood stops. And another daughter's blood begins pumping again. And Mark gives us one very important part of the story. Mark gives us this parenthetical note on how old the little girl was. He tells us in verse 42, did you catch it? That she was 12 years old. Why does he include this? Think about it. How long did the woman with the issue of blood have her problem? 
Mark told us in verse 25 that she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Now, how old is this little girl? She's 12 years old. So 12 years ago, Jairus' wife gave birth to their little baby girl, their angel, and right around the same time, this woman starts bleeding. We have two daughters, and 12 years ago, their lives started moving toward this one day and the village of Capernaum, which is the village of compassion, where their lives and their paths would cross as they meet the most tender and compassionate man in the world. Both going to have a run-in with Jesus. It was set in place 12 years ago. One daughter's blood would stop pumping through her veins because she dies, and another daughter's blood would stop bleeding out. This is a story that was 12 years in the making. And Jesus knew it 12 years ago before this event, and he knew it 12,000 years ago. And Jesus knew 12 years ago that you would be sitting inside this very church today. And he knew it 12,000 years ago. And he knew that he would say to you today, do not fear, only believe. Jesus knew 12,000 years ago that what's going on in your life that's keeping you up at night so that you can't sleep, that's taking away your appetite, he knew 12,000 years ago that you would be going through that today sitting right here. And he knew 12,000 years ago as you're going through whatever you're going through that he was going to say to you today, do not fear, only believe. Whatever is going on in your life, you don't have to fear because Jesus is near. You don't have to fear death because Jesus controls death. He conquered death and you can trust him because he has power. He can heal people and he can raise people from the dead. He even came back from the dead. I think you can trust him. I think you can cling to his promises. I think you can take his words to the bank and you can take his words to the grave because he's been there and done that. Whatever is happening in your life, if Jesus is holding your hand, everything will be okay. The question is, which of these people are you? Are you the little girl who is helpless or the crowd that laughs at and mocks Jesus. What do you think of Jesus today? Do you just kind of brush him off? Do you just laugh him off? If you do, you need to repent. Which means you need to turn from your sin. Turn from living for yourself like you're the king or queen of the world. And turn back to him. Because Jesus is the one that you will meet on the other side of death. As soon as you breathe your last breath, you will find yourself standing face to face with Jesus, the judge of every human being who's ever lived. And it will either be a glorious reunion or the worst time of your life, a nightmare. The Bible tells us that we are all born sinners. Our catechism reading earlier in the service, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? No, we consistently fail to keep the standard that God requires of us. It's because we're sinners. We're all born sinners, all born spiritually dead, 
unable to come to God unless he makes us alive. We're dead in our sins, the Bible says, and we need resurrection. There's no essential oil that can help us out. doTERRA doesn't have an essential oil that can help our sin. We need a Savior. We need Jesus to live for us, to perfectly obey God's law for us, and we need him to die for us on the cross to take the curses of God's law upon himself on the cross, which is exactly what he did for us. Robert Capon said, Jesus takes all of our wrongness down into the forgettery of his death. He took all of our sins to the cross because he loves us. And he loves you even when you laugh at him and even when you despise him. And he's calling out to you today. Will you come to him? Your eternity depends on how you react and respond to Jesus. It's a choice between everlasting peace and joy or eternal punishment for your sins. What will you do with Jesus. He will have you. If nobody else will have you, Jesus will have you. He would love to take you by the hand and call you son or daughter or call you buddy or sweetie. Whatever is happening in your life, if Jesus is holding your hand, everything will be okay. Just like when a child feels so safe and secure because they're holding mom or dad's hand, they feel safe. And even when they don't have all the details and the facts of what's happening around in their world, a child trusts because they're holding mom and dad's hand. And the same for us too. We don't have all the details and the facts of what's happening in our world and in our lives. But if Jesus has our hand, we can trust him. He holds us by the hand. And when he does, we know everything is going to be all right. Even when we die, we are safe. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we die, we'll be safe because Jesus has our hand, because he's holding our hand. Believe simply today that somebody else, by his death and resurrection, has made it all right, and just say thank you and shut up. Because at the very worst, all you can be is dead. And for him, who's the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. Jesus doesn't need essential oils to heal you. Jesus doesn't need essential oils to resurrect you. He has his own power that does that. And all of this is made possible only because Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned. Jesus knows what it feels like. Jesus wasn't abandoned by his father because his father held his hand when he was on the cross. His father was with him. He didn't lose his grip on his father's hand, but it felt like it to Jesus. In his humanity, it felt like he was abandoned by his father, but he wasn't. That's why he quotes David, Psalm 22. He felt like in his humanity that he was being abandoned by his father, but God the Father was still holding his hand because this was God's will. What brought him pleasure was that Jesus would die for us. Jesus felt like he lost his grip on his father's hand on the cross when he died in our place. 
went into the grave, and three days later, God the Father said, Son, it's time to get up. And he did. Three days after Jesus died, God the Father said, Son, it's time to get up. And Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave. And that means even when you die, you can trust him. Jesus will still be holding your hand. And then one day you'll hear him say, Honey, sweetie, it's time to get up. Or, Buddy, it's time to get up. You know, growing up, my dad called me Benny Boo. And he'd say, Benny Boo, it's time to get up. I have a feeling that when Jesus resurrects me and makes my old sin-wracked body new with his resurrection power and my body becomes glorified, I have a feeling Jesus is going to say to me, Benny Boo, it's time to get up. And he'll say that to you too. Honey, it's time to get up. Buddy, it's time to get up. And you will, Christian. That's the resurrection. That's the hope of the gospel, the hope of the Christian faith. And if that is certain and true, if we can trust Jesus, even when we go through death, can't we trust him now? Can't we trust him today? If we can trust Jesus, even when we go through the most awful experience that can happen to a human being, namely death, then can't we trust him now today? Jesus went through death and came out alive on the other side, and he promises that to us. And if the guy who went through death and came out alive and victorious, if he's holding our hand right now, do we really have anything to fear? Nothing can separate us from his unfailing love. So do not fear, only believe. Paul Tripp says, Jesus took names to the cross. He took names to the cross. Jairus, his baby girl, whatever her name was. The woman with the issue of blood, whatever her name was. Jesus took names to the cross. Yours, mine, Benny Boo. He took Benny Boo's name to the cross. He lived for you perfectly. He died for you. His death on the cross was just as effective for us as if we had died for our sins. We are the ones who are responsible for our sins, and Jesus dies for them, for us, in our place, and it was sufficient. He died as our representative, and his death on the cross satisfied God's anger at our sin. He took our blame, and God said, I'm satisfied, son. It's time to get up now. And because God was satisfied with Jesus' life and death, he raised him from the dead, and Jesus ascended into heaven at God's right hand, and he will raise you from the dead and you can be with him forever if you will believe, if you will only believe. And one day you will rise. One day you will rise, Christian, when Jesus calls your name and he'll take you by the hand and say, it's time to get up, sweetie. It's time to get up, buddy. And you will. You will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us as demonstrated through the life, death, and resurrection of your son Jesus, which has now been applied to us and to our account through the power of your spirit. And now we are your children, adopted into your family. Now we are in union with your son. And one day, because of Jesus, you will say to each one of us, it's time to get up, sweetie. It's time to get up, buddy.
and we will. In Jesus' name, amen.